Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Welcome to NASCAR America, Dale Jr. and Steve Letarte here at the Big Oak Table in Charlotte, along with our special guest today, Eric Almarola. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, we're glad you're here. How's like your, your season set. going? I like your yeah, set. I've heard some good things about you. Yeah, we've uh, <laughs> we've had we've had a good year. It's been yeah. it's been fun to to run up front and um, be in contention most weekends. You know, just show up to the racetrack, know you got a car that's capable of running up front, and it's been fun. Yeah. So you say it's been fun, but. Like, this is years in the making, right? Every race car driver just wants to start every race with a chance to win. Yeah. You must feel like you have that this year. I do. I mean, where does that put you? I mean, professionally, personally? I mean, let's talk about the year. You can't, you can't gloss over that yeah. easy of an answer. No, so professionally, everything is, is the best it's ever been. I mean, you, you know, and, and growing up, you race and you're successful, you know, at a young age or you're not. And if you're not, you go pick another sport, right? <laughs> like I wasn't very good at a lot of sports, but I was good at racing. And when I went and raced my go-kart at the end of the night, usually I came home with a trophy and it was fun. And that's what I really enjoyed about racing was the fact that I was competitive and, and I was, I was good at it. So you, I, I've, I've had the opportunities and been fortunate enough to, to get more and more opportunities and climb my way up through the, the ranks. And then when you get all the way to here, you realize that everybody's good, <laughs> and you can't you can't just outwork them. Um, you know, it's it it takes it takes a total team and it takes the best equipment. And you know, for the last six years, I've run okay, right. average. Um, it, and I never knew if it was me, if it was the equipment, if it was all of the above. And so for this opportunity to go to Stuart Haas Racing with arguably the best equipment in the garage, is all on me. Right, it was all on me and my team, and so I, I accepted that challenge. I was excited about it and, and wanted to know when I went to sleep at night whether or not I could compete with the best. And I feel like I've still got more to go, but I, I'm I'm on the right track to at least running in the top ten and being competitive. And and that's what's fun to me. At, being a part of the show for the last six years, um, you know, the first two or three years was exciting because you're finally a cup driver. But then after a while, you just kind of get to the point to where you're just a part of the show, and I wanted to be be more in the show. Yeah, yeah. So when people think about your, you know, your beginnings, and and when they hear the name Eric Almirola, they think about the Milwaukee Mile. Yeah. They think about the the year you went down there with Gibbs in the Xfinity yep. Series and got the pole, right? And yep. you started the race. Denny Hamlin comes in late, and then they made a driver change at the first yellow, right? Mm, yes. And yep. so he gets in the car and wins the race. You get credit yep. for the win, which is kind of neat, but. What was what was what was it like though before that? How did you ever whatever led up to that opportunity? Yeah, so I was I was racing a late model in Florida, and I was uh, I was going and, and racing my own late model. I was going to school at uh, UCF in Orlando. Really? Yep. And I was getting my what was your major mechanical engineering. I was oh. trying to get my engineering degree. So <laughs> it that was way. a music. We had a photography major yeah, and a music no. major. We just had to clear that up. So. No, I was I was trying to get my engineering degree because I loved race cars yeah. and I loved working on race cars and. 
Uh, I grew up watching my grandfather, you know, drive uh, dirt sprint cars. And when I started racing go-karts, he said, we're going to have one rule. I will support you. I'll do everything we can to go race, but you're going to be right here next to me working on it. it. The day that you don't show up to the shop to work on it is the day I'm going to go home and have fun too. He's like, I'm not going to work on this just so you can show up and drive. He's like, you're going to work on it. You're going to learn about it. You're going to know about it. And that was from the time I was eight years old. And so, you know, that was how I grew up. And so racing late models, um, neither of us knew anything about asphalt late model racing. My grandfather raced dirt sprint cars. It would have been probably a little easier for me to go sprint car racing just from knowing and, and understanding the race cars. My grandfather was very successful at it. Um, but he felt like if I, if I raced sprint cars that I would learn bad habits um, and that I wouldn't make it to cup. Because at the time, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you saw all the guys like your dad and Bill Elliott and Harry Gant and all those kind of guys. They were all stock car racers. Right, right. There was no guys like Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart and those guys hadn't come in yet. So my grandfather was like, we're going we're gonna to go stock car racing. Um, and so that's what, that's what we did. And, and I had to learn if we were going to be competitive, I had to learn because we bought, uh, we bought a car and tore it apart and it didn't have torsion bars or anything that a sprint car had. It had shocks and springs and, um, you know, stuff that was very foreign to both of us. So I had to learn and I took a initiative to learn so I could be competitive. So long story, uh, made even longer. I, I went to, uh, I went to college because when I was, Done with high school, I um, didn't know if I'd make it as a race car driver, but I loved racing and I loved working on race cars. So I felt like if I went and got an engineering degree that I could at least move to North Carolina and come work on race cars because that's what I love to do. Did you have that, but you say you didn't know if you would make it as a race car driver. Was there that moment? So for me, I worked at Hendrick Motorsports forever. Yep. Hey, you're gonna be Jeff Gordon's crew chief, great. Not like great opportunity, but and then we, yeah. we won at Martinsville early out. And I remember driving home from there thinking, listen, I don't even know if this is going to last forever, but I feel like I could do it. Like I could be a crew chief at this level. Or is there a moment in your driving career where you said, I'm going to be a professional race car driver for the rest of my life? That's what I'm going to do for a career. Um, probably when I first moved to North Carolina, I had that thought. Um, so, <laughs> so while I was going to school, I was, I, was, uh, I was working on other people's cars. I would go to other people's shops, uh, you know, that worked normal nine to five jobs and didn't have time to keep their cars up. I'd go and set their cars up and work on them at nighttime with them. And they'd pay me a few hundred dollars. That would help me get money to put tires on my race car. And then I'd go race against them and hopefully beat them and make more money so that we could keep racing uh, like the week, race after, dream right week after week. And so I was making a little side money here and there doing that. But when I finally got that call to move to North Carolina and go drive for Joe Gibbs and I got paid $400 a week, uh, to, to drive a race car and I got to keep half of whatever I won driving a late model. And so we were racing at Ace and Hickory and Caraway and uh, Motor Mile and, and racing all around. And, and I, I made, I don't know, $26,000, $30,000 that year. And I was like, man, yeah, this is yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like I had enough money for hot dog and beer and pizza yeah. and life was good. I, I worked at, on a race car every day and, and that's all I cared about. That's all I thought about. Um, and so from that day forward, I was like, this is what I want to do forever. Like, I want to just, I want to make a living. I don't care how small, how big. I want to work on race cars. I want to drive race cars. And so far, it's, it's worked out. That you ran true late model. We call them true late models. Yeah. Uh, not a straight rail car, but a 
but a regular so I ran, chassis. So I ran straight rail cars in Florida. That's right. what I ran in Florida. And, and uh, when I moved to North Carolina to drive for, for coach, I ran a late mile stock. Yeah. So I went from driving something that had 650 horsepower um, and had an offset chassis to driving a, a straight up stock chassis with 400 horsepower. So it was a, it was a bit different. I had yeah. to learn about momentum. Yeah, you, momentum couldn't just, you couldn't just drive in there and stop and then turn around and go again. So I, go ahead. I was just wondering, like, so the success in the late model is what offered you, you know, that opportunity to get into the Xfinity car, or was it? Uh, yeah. So that year, when I first when I first moved up here, I won I won at Ace and won races at Hickory and, and Caraway and Motor Mile. And JD Gibbs um, told me, he said, "Hey, there's a, there's an opportunity coming up to where all Chevy uh, manufacturer teams are going to have an opportunity." to send one driver to like a combine. And so we went to Caraway and Hendricks um, sent a driver, I think it was Blake Fees. Um, Gibbs sent me, uh, RCR sent a driver. I can't remember who. And and we drove that Chevrolet All-Star truck. Do you remember that truck that like uh, Kevin Harvick drove, Michael Waltrip drove it, Bobby Labonte drove it. It was a 47 uh, Morgan Dollar truck. Hmm? Yeah, Setzer or something. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. so it was Setzer's team truck. It was the Chevy All-Star truck. And there was some races that were not companion races, so where cup drivers couldn't run it. And whoever won this combine was going to get to run four non-companion truck races that was at... um, uh, Memphis, IRP, um, somewhere else, and, and then Kentucky maybe, and Texas. And I ended up not running Kentucky. I ran Loudon instead. You won but the um, I won the combine. How do you win the combine? Yeah, like, is it a score? I, like, you get a vote? You go faster than everybody. Oh, else. I, I like Just that. Just pure yeah. lap time. I like it, it was based on pure lap time, and, and so everybody got to go out, and you got to run ten laps. On a set of stickers. God, the pressure and then, that must have been. And then you tell, and then you told the crew chief what you thought about the truck, and then you got an opportunity to make adjustments to the truck, and you had to tell them what adjustments you wanted. Really? Yeah, they wouldn't make the That's adjustments. That's the kind of crew chief and gig I'm yeah. looking for. No, no, te- what do you want to change? You had to tell them the adjustments that you wanted, and then you, then they put another set of stickers on, and you had to go run 25 laps. And so they, they, they looked at what your first 10 laps in the truck was, how fast you got up to speed, and what your fastest lap was. And then they looked at your 25-lap run and took the total time of the total run uh, to see who was the fastest for the, lo- for the longest. <laughs> you're like, you're like, yeah. I just would imagine how nervous I would be just oh, driving gosh. up there. I was so nervous. I bet. Yeah. And then that, like, those 25 laps, I mean, you, you probably – not knowing whether you're oh, going you're fast running, you're running a qualifying lap yeah. every lap but you don't and know and not make a mistake yeah, and, yeah. golly that's so, ridiculous so here <laughs> so the story gets better the crew chief of the truck is now my father-in-law oh oh yeah okay so we, well you're gonna, so, have to, you're gonna have to give the yeah, viewers so, a little more detail so the, crew chief, so the crew chief of the truck was uh was randy goss at the time and at the time i did not know my wife um, but so i went up there and, and met randy and and we talked about the truck and he Told, you know, he sat all the drivers down and told us that um, Setzer had already shaken the truck down and that it was driving pretty good. And for us to get back in it, every driver needs something different. So um, you tell us what you need and, and what adjustments you want, and we'll do it. So I went out and run, and they, I run the 10 laps, and I was like, that's ah, good. I, I, just, I just need tires, and I'll go run 25 laps. I don't, I don't need any adjustments. Um, and I feel like that won him over more than anything. Oh, yeah. Just telling him that his truck was oh, good. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. 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 oh, I know yeah. how you crew chiefs are. Who do you think? I think Eric was yeah. the guy I would have taken. Yeah. 
So, man, that's crazy. I so I got imagine. that opportunity to run those four truck races. Yeah. My first truck race at, at Memphis, uh, we ran really well, ran in the top five, and I wrecked uh, with Mike Skinner. Uh, stupid mistake, not knowing anything about racing on a on a radial tire. Um, and then my next race at IRP, uh, practice and qualifying rained out, and I started dead last, and we finished eighth, I think. So. That was kind of yeah. That was that was a lot of problems out there. That was kind of my my breakthrough race, if you will, to where I kind of got noticed and people saw on TV that I drove that Chevrolet All Star truck and ran up front. Well, so you and I took a road trip a couple years back. This is before you went to SHR or any of that, and I was shocked to hear about your relationship with Tony. I had no idea how close you and Tony Stewart were. Yep. So or are. how, like, how do you get, how do you like, how do you get to be buddies with Smoke? How does this work? Uh, well, so I, when I moved to North Carolina, I was uh, 19 years old. I turned 20 after a couple months of being here. And I was a race fan, if nothing else. I mean, I was a racer, but I was just right. as much a race fan. We are. We're uh, the same. Yeah. We're, we're no different. We're race fans. And so I, here I am, you know, 19 years old, and I'm walking into Joe Gibbs Racing. And it's this incredible cup shop. And, you know, Tony Stewart, Bobby Labonte driving there. And I was kind of in shock and awe. And and in the beginning of the year, um, you know, Joe and JD told me, hey, anytime you want to go to a cup race, you're welcome to fly. Like if I race my late model on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, you can get up and ride with the pit crew and you can go to any cup race you want to go to. So they got me a license and so I could go to the races. So I would go and just because it was awesome, because I was a race fan. (laughs) And so here I am, I don't have to go sit in the grandstands, I don't have to buy a ticket, I can fly with the pit crew, I can go to the races. And so through that, I got to meet Zippy and Tony and and everybody, and I'd hang out at the cup shop and get parts that they didn't want to use on their cup car and take them and go use them on my late model. Um, And so just through building that relationship of being around and going to the races, um, Tony kind of took me under his wing and took an interest in me and, and almost treated me like a nephew um, or, or like I still call him Uncle Smoke to my kids because, <laughs> I mean, that's what he treated me. you got to like be careful he, what Uncle yeah, Smoke teaches your kids. Exactly. They're not 19 well, or 20 he, yet. The problem is he taught me some of the same things. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I just, I, I, I built a relationship with him. It was, it was friendly and, and he took me under his wing. He'd let me stay on his couch, on his, on his motorhome when I started racing trucks and on weekends where we'd race truck race on Friday and I wanted to stay all the way through Sunday and hang out and watch and and be a part of it. He'd offer me to, you know, to sleep on his couch and we've, uh, we've been friends ever since. Now you're driving for him. Yep. Now I'm driving for him. All right, man. I appreciate it. After the break, we're going to take a break, but after the break, we're going to come back with one of my favorite parts of the show, rapid fire. And the answers to the questions are going to be your Stuart Haas teammates and your boss, Tony Stewart. So stay tuned. We're just getting started. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Almarola will be the new leader. Almarola wins stage one. Everything is looking two thumbs up for this 10 car. Almarola has posted a career best finish. Hi, we're back. 
and this is my favorite part of the show. Uh, usually, you put this at the end. We're gonna we've been putting it at the front because we like it so much. It's rapid fire. Hold on, right. because you just can't answer. We've made it better. Yeah. I'm gonna sit up in my seat for this. Well, what's better than teammates on a stick? So we have a little Clint board. Clint. That's your Clint answer. Yeah. We have <laughs> smiling. Well, I'm gonna call him. Do we call this focused or mean, Kevin Harvick? That could be. I think it's focused, Kevin Harvick. Okay, both. Yeah. We have. Uh, I'm not sure what this face is, Tony. I just told a lie, Tony. I just told a lie, Tony. And uh, look, sponsor encouraging Kurt Busch. So you have to use the sticks to answer. All yeah, right. So those are your answers. And These uh, are my only answers. That's, that's it. That's right. Okay. Well, we'll react uh, off of your answers We'll a decide bit. if we give you it's some It's called more. rapid fire, but all we're right. going to take a whole segment. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. I haven't seen these, so I'm excited. Who asks the most questions in a team meeting? <laughs> really? Okay, so follow up. Do those questions pertain to the topic that you're currently discussing? No. Okay. <laughs> so then Clint, I believe it. Yeah. So Clint was his answer, and he asks, he goes off the beaten path, down in the weeds. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I, wonder, I, I imagine it. The would, others are very direct and to the point. Concise. Concise. Yeah. I, we should all be glad we're not teammates with Ryan Newman, because I'm sure that he would also ask a lot of questions. He's I'm the, sure he would. He's the guy. They would frustrate each other, because Newman would be on topic. Yeah. He is. Yes. If there's a question in the driver's meeting, who's going to ask it? Oh, Newman. Ryan Newman. Ryan Newman. And, if you, and if you don't think he will, I always used to ask him before the driver's meeting, like, hey, what do you think about this? That's an automatic, automatic ask. ask. Yeah, yeah. That's, an, that's an automatic <laughs> ask. All right, who's the worst dresser? Oh, oh. <laughs> Tony. I'd have, to say, I'd have to say that's probably true. Yeah. That's fair. This doesn't care, right? He just doesn't care. Yeah. He just yeah. really doesn't care. I mean, he... He cares when it really matters the most, but otherwise, like this has me. He's uh, gonna. He's he wears gonna, like a fire suit or other. Just oh, check yes. the box. Like, like he's gonna grab whatever shorts are still on the floor of his bedroom <laughs> and throw those on, and grab a t-shirt out of the drawer that he may or may not have. Does he dress up for anything? When he has to. Yeah. But Eddie has Jarvis to. has to tell him he has Got to. Got to do it. Yeah. All right. Who can keep up with Clint Boyer at a party? <sighs> I'm gonna take Clint out. That's the easy answer. Yeah. I don't know who I know who the answer is. Yeah, that's an easy answer in my mind. Yeah, I was gonna say that was that wasn't that hard in my mind. Yeah. First hand uh, knowledge. I yeah. I can confirm they can keep up with each other. Yeah. yeah. I've I've hung out with Tony a few times and yep. he can run pretty good. We had a we had a really good trip one time. We went to Bristol right after they redid Bristol. Um when they uh, when they did the progressive banking. Yeah, yeah. And we had a test there and the test got rained or snowed out. And Either are possible. Yeah, and we left there and, uh, and went uh, up to a cabin that we were staying at in Beach Mountain mm. um, for the test, and that was fun. We stopped at an old general store and got his favorite, uh, favorite hops of choice ah. um, and had a fun time. Locked in a built, cabin with Tony built, Stewart. Built a roaring fire and hung out and had <laughs> a good time. Great. Uh, this next one, I really want to see where this one goes. This is the best athlete. I think I know the answer. Yep. Yeah, I'd have right. to give him that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he wrestled in school. I believe so. He wrestled, and he's just, uh, yeah, he's, he's athletic. Yeah. You, yeah. you can just watch. I don't even watch. know if Clint even played sports in school, maybe baseball or something. I mean, if it didn't involve a tractor or a race car driver, I'm right. not sure he does. Right. A race I'm not car. sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure. But For a guy that talks a lot, I just don't know that much. Clint, yeah, Clint. you oh, think yeah. I learn more. Well, you, it's everything, oh, everything with Clint is very, very uh, surface level and very here and there. <laughs> now I get along yeah. with it so well. All right, how about this one? I like this one too. Y'all, I imagine all of y'all have went to some sponsor functions together or somewhere, have. right? Yep, so yep. who's the worst backseat driver? Um, 
well, believe it or not, all the stuff that we've done together, none of us have drove. We've either had a car service or we've yeah. flown on a helicopter to uh, Mobile One appearances. So I don't know. I, who, I, who would you if, be most concerned about having in the backseat? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the most opinionated about how somebody else is gonna drive. Oh, really? That one. All right. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna make a note of that one. That one's. Yeah, I would. I would say would this one's important because I might add them to my list, like my Christmas card list. Okay. Yeah. Who's who would you who would give the best Christmas present? Present. <sighs> You're gonna Come on, man. The package honestly, shows up. Honestly, I'm going to go yeah, with that oh, one again. I would too. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. going to go with that one again. I mm-hmm. think uh, I think there's, yeah, He's we'll creative. just leave it at that. Yeah, it's creative. Yep. Okay, it doesn't listen. mind spending money. This one right here. <laughs> I laughed. So you guys are going to take a minute right here. It's midnight on a country road. Yep. You're pulled over with a flat tire and a blown engine. Oh, Which wow. one of these four? Who, a flat tire who, and a blown engine? You've had a bad day. Who of these four do you want to see come to your save? Who's going to be driving by to help you anybody. out? Anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anybody, but, man. Let's start with who's going to drive right by you. Uh, do we really have to do that one? No. no, no go ahead. Do that. <laughs> Who do you want to see one. show up? Um, well, he's going, to be, he's going to be sincere and helpful, okay. for sure. Like, right. he's, he's really going to be helpful. He'll stay there. He, he's usually up at midnight anyway, so that's, point. that's, a, that's a good starter. Yep. He's going to be up. You can count on and it. And him and him are going to be on the country road. And him and him are going to be on the country good road. Good chance he might, he might have a tire and a motor in his truck. <laughs> he could have any of the above. And, and this guy right here, will, if, if he cares about you, will stay there until it's fixed. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so make so, a note, if he pulls up and leaves you, it yeah. sounds like he didn't care this about guy, you. This guy is going to show up and say, ah, let's just leave it there. We'll go get some beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe that. Yes. Who's, uh, who's most likely to sing karaoke at a party? Have you seen any of those guys sing karaoke? Uh, I'm going to say this one yeah. is definitely going to be doing some karaoke. I should be calling out their names. I yeah. hope they can see them, but that's Clint. Do, you, Clint. do you sing karaoke? Uh, no. 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 Never. Never. Karaoke ever? No. You don't have like a go-to karaoke song? No. You've never accidentally done it under any circumstances? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> ah, I knew you would get to this. Perhaps. But there's a great place up the street I'm going to show you. Really? Good karaoke place, yeah. It's for a different yeah, conversation. If you had, imagine if you had, I mean, I'm new, new father, but imagine if you had kids, you'd probably yeah, you probably have some karaoke. So there, yeah, so there's, there's singing um, <laughs> with kids in the backseat, yeah. but there, I would not consider that karaoke. Well, just so you know, your kids are, what, Eight, Five and four. Eight, eight years younger than mine, roughly, with my yeah. math will hold out. So I was going to let you know, be careful, because it graduates quickly where the, ba- the car singing is not enough. It becomes karaoke. They expect. Oh. They expect. Really? Yes. House karaoke, things like that. I did not know that. Yep. Oh, yeah. Good Lord. This was a long one. Five of you are in the octagon, all right? Counting your boss. $10 million placed in the center. Only one can walk out with the money. Who is it? Ooh. <laughs> Let's be honest. Wow. I mean, the... I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Kevin's probably the scrappiest, and he's wrestled like he wrestled. Yeah, I think that's he plus he has the octagon up. buddies. Oh, and he does. He, he yeah, represents the octagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's probably been the in the Uf- octagon, the UFC, and all that stuff. He's yeah. probably been in the MMA. octagon with those guys. But I would say that this guy could get scrappy if he needed to. So, as a matter of fact, I think this guy and this guy have gotten scrappy together. Together, they have. I think they have. So listen, this one's not scripted, but I'm gonna ask you. We'll take Tony out. You race with these three. Yep. Takes everybody to create an organization. It does. What are their strengths? When you look at your teammates, what's Kevin's strength, Kurt's? I mean, they all have them. They're all winners. Yep. What's their strengths? Um, 
I think Kevin is just a leader, and he mm-hmm. takes he takes that role on, and and you know he takes it very seriously, and he leads the company, um, not just from not just from a, a vocal standpoint, but from an action standpoint. Right. Um, you know, he's he's involved in every aspect. He puts in the work. Uh, people would be amazed at how much effort he actually puts in behind the scenes <laughs> to make sure that the company. You know, from oh, yeah. from when yeah. he drove with you at JRM, but he's just explain. he's just he's just a leader. He's, right. he's and he's really good at it. How about your man Kurt? Kurt's just really talented. Yeah, Kurt's just um, full of talent. Can drive the wheels off of a race car, um, and very scientific, surprisingly, um, and can describe things about a race car that most people don't even think about. Well, how about the distractible, then, fun-loving then, Clint Boyer? And then Clint just keeps it fun. Like, yeah. you know, if, if um, you know, I think that's where, you know, he's, he's obviously very talented and, and, and a great race car driver, but then he takes, uh, he takes a completely different approach and, and he's very laid back and fun and um, wants it to be all about fun. And, and the best part about, you know, racing and having fun is winning. And so he's he's done that, but um, rather win, lose, or draw, you know that this guy is going to have fun and, and he's going to have a cold one after the race. Well, those are your parting gifts to you. So yeah, there you go. You Thanks for finish. coming. I'm done. No, well, <laughs> you're not done. <laughs> oh, okay. But you do get those when you leave. Right. You can have those. Sounds like you guys make a great team. As we said before, our sport is built on families. And when we come back, we'll talk to Eric about how his family has supported him through the ups and downs of racing. Each week, almost 2,000 Cubans find they have had enough of Castro, so they get out and come to Miami, Florida. Cuba's a large part of my family history, and it's something I'm very proud of. My grandparents, uh, my dad's parents, in 1966, well, there's, let me back up. Welcome once again to Meet the Press. Our guest is the Prime Minister of Cuba, Dr. Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro came into power and turn the country into a communist country. People that didn't want to live under their dictatorship, they said, fine, if you don't like it, you can go to America. You have to enter into a lottery. And so in 1966, they got chosen, and they told them, if you want to go to America, now's, now's your chance. From the Miami airport, twice each day, Pan American flies an empty DC-7 to Havana and brings it back loaded with 85 or 90 Cubans. They left their house, their land. My grandmother gave all her jewelry back, her wedding ring, and started from scratch. Each refugee must bribe the police for an exit permit, and when he comes to Miami, give up everything he owns. For every married couple, they got 50 bucks, and for every child they had, they got $25. So they were a family of four, they got 100 bucks, and they got a pat on the back and said, good luck. That's fascinating. That is incredible. <laughs> yeah. It blows me away. It, I mean, you think about it, I'm sure you've moved when you were a kid or at some point, right, from house to house. I'm sure you've moved from house to house, whether it was when you were a kid or when you are an adult. And packing all your stuff up and moving is a big deal. You leave behind where you left, your neighbors, all that stuff. But usually you're going to somewhere that you know and you can speak the language and you're excited about the move for one reason or the other. They were leaving everything they knew. Like they were leaving their country and going to another country where they didn't speak the language, they didn't know anybody. It was, it was foreign for them. And for them to come here, 
just purely because they didn't like the opportunity that they saw ahead of them in Cuba and felt like for their family that there was better opportunity in America, which obviously there is. Um, that was that was huge. It was a huge sacrifice, but it was uh, a you know a really great thing that they did for the Almirola family, and I get to I get to reap that benefit every day. Yeah, I've I've done a lot of genealogy on uh, my own family, and what I found out when I went went back, you know, several generations, I it made me realize how delicate each generation is. Yeah, and so many so many small almost seemingly irrelevant circumstances yeah. have to happen yeah. in all this succession for you to <laughs> right. have this opportunity you have today. I mean, that yeah. has to be, uh, and it's awesome that you, you know, you, you love to spend time with them and yet you share yeah. with us that story. And, and, but that must make even today, like as you're set, you know, enjoying sure. what you have now, I mean, that, you know, share with us those feelings of your appreciation for your family and what they did. Well, yeah, it's just, like I said, it, it makes me proud to, to be an Almirola because um, they represent what I try and, and portray every day. They, they represent sacrifice and hard work and, and diligence and, and just um, all the things that you know you want somebody to look up to. That's what, that's what they were. I mean, they were a very blue collar family that moved here and started with nothing and literally built their family and the generations that come from the ground up. Um, and so I'm forever grateful for that. And, you know, I think it, it really keeps me grounded and it keeps me humbled and, and make sure that, you know, I don't get too big for my britches, you know, because when I go back and, and visit my abuela, she still lives in the same house that they finally were able to afford and buy in 1969. They paid $11,000 for it in Tampa, really? Florida, and she still lives in that house. Like, it's just this little teeny house in Tampa, Florida, in the heart of, um, you know, a, a very Hispanic um, community, and that's still where she lives. And so that, it just always keeps me grounded and makes, makes me realize where my roots are at. Well, you say grounded, and you mentioned generations to come. You're one of those guys that every time I see you out of the race car or away from the garage or away from the team, you're always with your kids, with your wife. Yep. Um, explain that process of racing and driving and having Alex and Abby around. I mean, you're always there. Where was that at uh, New Hampshire? New Hampshire. You, you and Alex were, well, he was going to get more cars. But yeah. I walked by, my man is laying on the ground on this carpet. I said, man, what are you doing? Well, Alex went to go get some more cars. They were racing around a homemade track. It was spectacular. Yeah. I, so for me, that that's, that's what I want. I mean, I, I want to be a family guy. I want to be there with my kids and, and, Fortunately and unfortunately, I am a race car driver. So the, the fortunate part is I get to do what I love to do. It, it's not what they chose, they were born into it, mm -hmm. but it's what I've chosen and, and I make a, a very good living at it, but it takes a lot of time away. And so I'm here tonight with you guys and it's almost dinner time, right? So, you know, there, there are sacrifices that are made by, by doing what I do. And so I try to make sure that I'm with them as much as possible. And so during the summertime when they're out of school, come on, we're going to the races. Right. And that's how I grew up. You know, when, when I had, um, you know, when I was out of school on the weekends, I was going to the racetrack. When, you know, the, the races were gonna be out of town, Friday at lunchtime, I'd get picked up in the dually and trailer and I'd hop in there and we'd travel up the highway to go racing somewhere. And so that's, that's how I was raised and, and that's how I want my kids um, to, to be, you know, to be raised as well. I want to be a part of it. I don't want racing to be something that their dad does 
and then I come home on, you know, on, during the week and, and hang out with them. I want them to be a part of it. It's what we do as a family, and, and I, I love having them at the racetrack. It brings, uh, it brings some normalcy. Um, I remember when they were really young, you know, I'd be um, getting ready for driver introductions, and uh, Janice would have one of them dressed and the other one almost dressed, and one of them would poop in their diaper, and she'd be like, I need help. You know, <laughs> if, we're, if you want us to go out there with you, I need help. So I'd have to get one of them dressed or change a poop diaper, and I remember thinking, like, here I am, five minutes away from walking out in front of fans and waving and acting like a celebrity, and I'm changing a poop diaper. <laughs> it's just real, right? It just makes you... Oh, he, listen, yeah, he can relate. Real. I know yeah. he can relate. Yeah. I changed one this morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things I want to talk to you about while you're on the show today is your injury. Yep. Um, tell us about the... I mean, the physical challenges a lot of people might be able to relate to, but the mental challenge of trying to go through something like that and work your way back. So the physical challenge is, is one thing. I think, you know, breaking your back is, is not ideal. But for me, breaking my back was, was actually better than breaking a leg or an arm or something like that because I had a severe amount of pain for two to three weeks. And then all of a sudden, most of the pain went away and I could actually resume normal everyday activity. I just couldn't drive a race car because my bone wasn't healed enough. And if I got in another accident that was similar, um, I could have compressed the vertebrae and while it was broken, um, it could have slid backwards into my spinal cord and, and caused paralysis. So I had to be mindful of that and had to take my time to be out of the race car. But by, by week three, I was swimming, I was walking normal. I, if you saw me, you would not know anything was wrong. That had to been tough mentally, knowing it you was. could do everything. But It was. It, that was the toughest part, was that I was back in the gym, I was working out, uh, not with heavy weights, but I was working out, as you see, and I was doing a lot of exercising and, and trying to strengthen all the muscles around uh, the broken vertebrae, um, just because all those muscles get really tight and inflamed in the beginning. Um, to protect you. That's your body's natural defense mechanism is to protect itself and so everything gets tight and, con and constricted. And so I had to do a lot of mobility work to get everything in my back uh, flexible again. Um, but, you know, I think the mental part was the most challenging because in the beginning, um, you know, I, I, was, I was more focused on my injury and, and concerned like, you know, the fact that, that my doctor told me I was a quarter inch away from my vertebrae slipping back into my spinal cord and from basically um, you know, the, the top of my chest down, I would have not had any feeling the rest of my life if that would have happened. So that part you know, pl takes a toll on you mentally. But then on top of that, just thinking about racing and do I really want to do this? And I know you've went through some similar experiences and I've even, I even reached out to you and talked to you through it. But um, just going through that and in the beginning, you know, thinking, well, maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I take this as an opportunity to say I'm out and I can go and, uh, work a different job. I can go find something else to do. Um, but the, the more I, the more I sat there on the couch and, and started exercising and working out, <laughs> the more I realized like this, this is not it. Like I still have too much desire and passion and, and watching those races without me in it was killing me. Right. And seeing, you know, going to the shop and seeing the race car load up and go to the racetrack and me not going to be a part of it was killing me. Um, so I, I knew right then and there that the fire wasn't out. And it almost reignited 
um, and rejuvenated my career, so to speak, because at that time I'd gone five and a half years and, you know, after a while it turns into a grind. You guys have done it longer than I have. And so you go a week in and week out for 38 weeks a year, it becomes normal and it just becomes mundane. And to get it taken away from you just like that um, was eye-opening for me because, you know, you take it for granted. You every week, you know, you get on a plane Thursday and you go to the racetrack. It's just what you do. You go, you run the the weekend, you do good, you do bad, you come home, you do it over. And to have it taken away makes you realize, you know, how fortunate and how lucky you are to get to do what you do. Yeah. Well, you're taking advantage of it this year for sure. I mean, that's that, right. That, we're glad you didn't give it up, man, because yeah. we're getting to watch you have an amazing season. Coming up, it's time for Eric to answer questions from you, the fans. There's still time to get yours in. Just use the hashtag Wednesdale. We'll be right back. Perfect day in Watkins Glen, New York, and thousands of fans have made the pilgrimage to this track. Do you know there's over 4,000 campers, campsites, and the fans are ready for a great afternoon. There's so much fun, so many things to see, and even some wild fans. How wild, you ask yourself? Wild enough to get a tattoo of the Glen? All at once, who's going to win today? I'm going to go with mom. Check this out, Ryan Blaney trying to get over to driver introductions. How cool is that? You're amongst your people out there, Rutland. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> it's all about the fans. And on Friday, we're going to have a fan edition of NASCAR America live from Michigan at 6 Eastern here on NBCSN. Chase Elliott, Eric Jones, and Ty Dillon will join us. And we may have a few surprises as well, so be sure to tune in. And speaking of fans, we got some fan questions. Surprises will be a plenty. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun. There might be surprises in here. Let's see. That's right. So we got some fan questions for you, Eric. Uh, the first one's from AJ. What would you, I don't know. It, uh, no. A, it, I don't think it is. <laughs> I won't try to pronounce that. What would you do if you weren't a NASCAR driver? Uh, I'd probably end up working at my grandfather's body shop if I couldn't make it uh, to work in racing. Did so, you work there? Yes. Yeah, so you, I had to. Yeah. Yeah. My grandfather had a body shop. Yes, because he's very proud of the time at the dealership. So uh, we're just yeah. trying to. I had to. My grandfather had a body shop <laughs> and... Uh, every summer, I had to paint all the walls in the body shop white. Oh, no. They were concrete oh, no. cinder block walls, and mm. I painted them white. Roller? Or did you get the spray? Roller. Roller. Yeah. All right, oh, this next one's from Lou. Eric, how do you keep your cool and heated moments in which most others would let their emotions get the best of them? Greetings from the UK. Oh. Hey. All right. International uh, question. Yeah. So I've always been that way. I've always been pretty even kill, and I try not to get too high when the when things are good, and I try not to get too low when things are bad. And come on, man. So I, what's the moment? What's that one moment? We've all done it where yeah. you like his was wrecking someone at Pikes Peak. Like when in a race car have <laughs> you really, really <laughs> lost your cool and look back on it and say, okay, that wasn't cool. I really messed that up. Um, I don't remember what race it was, but it was maybe a year, a little over a year ago. I got pretty upset. And I dropped the F-bomb on the radio. And my wife was in a suite with my kids um, and had the radio on open, like just the radio out, listening to what was going on. And so when the race was over, we were getting the rental car and we're driving to the airport. And she's like, I hope you know your kids heard what you said today. And I was like, what are you talking about? 
And right. so mm-hmm. she had to remind me. And so that was the end of that. Oh, there, yeah. There is, there, there is, you can, so that's all a kids great can reason. listen to the tin radio. Yeah, so that, that yeah. really is a good reason. There yeah. you go. Wait, so everyone can listen. Kid-friendly yeah, radio. Kid-friendly radio. All right, I like that. King wants to know if you could race a driver from the past, who would you love to race against? Um, your dad, probably. Really? Yeah, I think, I, I grew up watching him. So, you know, Growing up, and, and my grandfather was my idol, uh, watching him race sprint cars, and he was a huge Dale Earnhardt fan. And so, watching him race, and, and just the way he raced, and the way you know he intimidated people and roughed people up and stuff, I think it would have been fun to just be on the racetrack at the same time. And obviously, it was a very big deal, so it would have been yeah. cool to race against him. All right, our sizzle wants to know he's made a product name, Almarola Cola. He wants to know if you can get that going, and what <laughs> flavor would you like it to be? Ah. Uh, um, man, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> Mine would be orange. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. It would look orange. Taste orange. Taste orange. Look orange. Mm, I'd probably go with strawberry. Strawberry. Can we, okay. Yeah. Can we get yeah. some sort of strawberry cola Perfect. going? Sounds mm. good. I think cherry cola is kind of. I think that's kind of it's, a thing. It's kind of a thing. I think so that was pretty we'll, popular. Yeah, I wouldn't take that one. So yeah. Maybe an uphill battle for yeah. the cherry. So we'll go strawberry. <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right, well, Steve and our own Dale Jarrett, they were part of NASCAR history 14 years ago to the date. We'll tell you all about what that was on this day in NASCAR history. Coming up next. NASCAR America is brought to you by Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for 20,000 miles. Welcome back. With four races to go, the drive for the playoffs goes full throttle at NASCAR's fastest track, the Monster Energy Cup Series at Michigan. This Sunday at 2.30 Eastern here on NBCSN. All right, it's time for our shout-outs today. My shout-out is going to go to all the drivers. We had 36 drivers that wore the gloves, the skeleton gloves this weekend on behalf of uh, Nationwide and Nationwide Children's Hospital. Uh, Appreciate you, Eric, and all the drivers for doing that. It was fun. Yeah, thank you. So wait a second. I can get Chase Elliott's winning gloves? You can, and and I'm getting a – what is the bid? Getting a producer to tell me right now. Uh, Chase's gloves are only at five thousand fifty. I imagine that means Rick Hendrick has not bid yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I got it. So I, what I heard there is they're only five thousand bucks, but you're bidding against Rick Hendrick. Yeah. I, all right. I have, a, I have an idea. He's going to be bidding. So. All right. Well, that'd be worth my. Well, this is my <laughs> shout out. He's going to be bidding. He told me. So. Well, he better uh, be yeah. bidding. Him and Rick are going to bid against each other. That should be cool. Fun. I should get a lot. I think it will. All right, so my shout-out goes to everybody at Watkins Glen. First of all, the weekend was outstanding. Our man Jeff Burton under the umbrella. But especially to those Xfinity guys, they came in. This is before they had this is before they had the rain tires. They got some rain tires on, handed a couple squeegees in the window. And I thought this was gonna be a mess and nobody would complete a lap. I was completely wrong. They put on like so much fun. a great in it. show. Oh, you were! I was in it. That's I, right. I, was I, came out, I came off pit road with the lead in the rain with my rain tires on, and I was like, yes, I've never done this before, but at least I'm gonna be able to see where I'm going. Yeah, right, right. And then I got the call on the radio that we had too many men over the wall. Oh, no! So I had, remember so that. We went, from the, we went from the lead to the to the tail of the field, and I drove around in a white haze and couldn't see where I was I going. I remember that. So. I was like, "He's going. To the, Eric's going to the back. Why?" Yeah. And they're like, "He's got a penalty." Because I was scared. All right. So listen, <laughs> we had our shout out. You better get your shout out, man. How about your yeah, shout out? Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited. We got. I, I always run good at Bristol. I'm looking forward to it. And we have a really cool paint scheme, the Smithfield Anytime Favorites paint scheme coming up. So um, we use this product all the time. Wait, hold on. So anytime I asked you, anytime favorites. What yeah, is that? It just means that anytime they are ready to go. They're pre cooked. They're pre cooked. They're ready to rock and roll. And so we use them for breakfast. Breakfast is a big deal in the Amarola house. 
Uh, we power up with breakfast in the morning. So you take the Smithfield. I love the little diced ones, uh, the little diced pieces of ham. You throw them in a frying pan with some spinach and mushrooms and onions and then some eggs. <laughs> you had me at ham. And ham and eggs, you had me. You're, you're ready to go. Good-looking race car. It is. It yeah. is. I'm so. not usually responsible for breakfast, but I might sign up now. You should. It's easy. With That's going to do it. <laughs> That's going to do it for today for the Big Oak Table. Eric, thanks for being on yep. the show. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Ah, bye. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.